for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. An over-the-counter, or better known as an OTC tag, is one way to guarantee that you can hunt elk every year somewhere, but it also comes with its own challenges. In the sheer number of hunters that are in the woods, but guess what, y'all? That can either be your excuse or a feather in your old proverbial cap. There's still going to be hunters out there getting it done and making it happen, so why not you? On tonight's show, we're going to talk about hunting pressures and pressured areas, how you can get it done despite the odds. We're going to talk about keying into different kinds of pressure, using hunters' mindsets and fears to your advantage, adapting your behaviors for your maximum benefits, as well as going to the non-typical and to the downright ugly. That along with our Elk Bros shout-outs and questions from our Elk Bros mailbox. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and elk hunting coach, Joe Gilly. You want to hunt elk, and they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons, doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello again, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you from Spring, Texas, and from New Mexico, your elk hunting coach, Joe Gillian. How's it going, Joe? Good, buddy. Good. Good to see you again, as always. No doubt. How's Chav <laughs> doing, brother? Let's have a Chav update. So, you know, uh, 
uh, the, the tears aren't in my eyes right now. And I've had a lot of tears over the last few months, Gilbert. You've, you've, uh, you've seen and heard some of those. Yes, sir. But I tell you what, his tears of joy now. He had a PET scan on um, Monday. I'm sorry, it was a week from Monday. He got his reading on Monday. Mm-hmm. And the PET scan whole idea is it looks and it finds hot spots in the body to show where the cancer is. He is cancer-free in every one of his lymph nodes, Mm, the areas of the bones that had showed it uh, in his hips and his chest were clear. Um, There was a little bit of residue on his spine, but they're not sure if that, they're really thinking that's from leftover from the treatments that they have going on in his spine. So, buddy, um, we are celebrating big time because we were hoping for improvement, and that doctor was, that doctor was giddy with happiness over what's going so I bet he was man I I think that's praise praise God that is all prayer man I'm telling you prayer is flat determination from Chad I I don't know how to thank not only all of my elk bros brothers but all of y'all listeners out there and all you people that have been sending him support and and doing all that I mean he's yeah he's still on a big journey I mean for you know we can always go well man what if what if but you know he had the impingement he's trying to relearn to walk um that's our battle right now he has two more bouts of chemo he actually has one more he just did one on monday uh he's going through his tough time right now from that chemo got one more after that but you know uh last Saturday I went and grabbed that boy we grabbed the wheelchair and we went to the hunting expo in Albuquerque New Mexico down there we went down to the state fairgrounds and and you know he had to wear a mask because of the people in there and stuff but you know he's like yeah man I want to check that trailer out you go look at that when he's wheeling himself over there man you know got to be a person and it was so cool and I, I I'm just not able to tell you how truly grateful i am to god number one for and sure. to all you people that have been talking to him and sending those prayers yeah man uh huge you know i'm a huge believer in the power of prayer and people that know me and understand that you know, and i had a long talk about that before we ever even kicked off the show but right. at the end of the day you know there's power in prayer we we, we believe in a higher power and I'm telling you, we're watching great things being done uh, through through the power of prayer with Chav well, and with and a lot you of saw the others. video. You saw the video I, I that did. I sent to you. In 23 days, he's gone from just trying to stand up to he was uh, taking steps with a walker the other yes, day. Yes, sir. And, yes, uh, sir. In 23 you know, days. <laughs> in 23 Huge days. Daylight and dark when you watch the video. Well, you saw when he sent you guys um, his update, you saw how he finished it up, right? Didn't no you? No doubt. Yeah. See you He's, on the mountain. See you on the mountain, man. Yeah. And that, I got news for you. That's what's Counting been driving days. him. You know, yeah. he's got the date written down for when we've got to have our applications in by. And, uh, <laughs> oh, man, I, I think that has been the greatest medicine uh, of, mm. of all, you know, that and his family, man. I mean, yeah. His yeah. daughter, Linnea, and, and everything, and, and, and my sister-in-law, Kathy, had just been incredible. So good news, two thumbs up. 
we are still fighting the fight, and uh, and like I told you, Gilbert, either he'll walk again, or I'm gonna probably kill him trying to get him there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, hey, what a way to go, huh? I mean, you go, going out trying to going out fighting stuff yes, like sir. that. Yeah, and for you listeners out there, we just want to thank you again for all your prayers. I've got another really, really close friend of mine that I'd like to reach out for, to our listeners and ask him for some prayer. His name is Tony Casenza. He's like a dad to me. Uh, I'm very close with him, and uh, he's gotten some bad news. He's fighting through some health issues. We just ask that you pray for him, that God's going to heal him from these issues and help him have better quality of life. Tony, we're praying for you, brother. Yes, sir, and, uh, Tony. If you're, listening, if you're listening to us, there's a lot of people in your corner, man. Keep keep fighting. Absolutely. Well, Joe, you know what time it is, man? Shout it's, uh, it's time for the Elbro Shoutouts. If you're new to the show, these are just a shout-out to a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. And before I get to those cities, man, shout out to some special people. Uh, I'm Gilbert. I've got to thank our patrons. And, no doubt. you know, a lot of people don't know about this all the time. Uh, but uh, you guys that uh, have gone and found a way to support us, uh, uh, we don't go out there and, and ask for you to do it. And that makes it even that much more special. But these names that we're going to talk about are people that uh, have gone in and become patrons on our Patreon page. And y'all, they keep the lights on. They keep the dream alive for us to provide uninterrupted true life knowledge, our experiences, and our elk hunting expertise with you. They are paying the bills, basically, man. Uh, and so big shout out, Andy Russell. Dr. Andy Russell, and I tell you what, Andy had never hunted elk until this year, had no, oh, had awesome. zero ground of knowledge on hunting elk, got with his brother and went and got it done. Both of them shot animals. Yes, That's sir. Fantastic. Yes, Way sir. Way to go, Doc. Yeah, there you go. Chad Hashin. Chad also, man, Chad uh, went out there and got it done. Uh, Brian Zakovic, otherwise known as the uh, Colorado Camper Man. Thank you, Brian. Dean mm -hmm. Birchinger, uh, Joe Doherty. Joe, I sent you an email a long time ago, man, just to tell you how much I appreciate it. I don't know if you ever got it. Haven't heard anything from you. You're hearing my voice right now if you listen. Keith Palmer, Larry Gill. Larry Gill, longtime friend out there, just always showing support. Mike Wilson, Richard Strait. Richard, uh, all of the emails and stuff. I get this stuff from Richard all the time. Steve Parker and our man, Zach Fisher. Um, Zach, and one, one day Jack Zach's going to, yeah, he tried to get with you up there in, in, in Dallas. And um, we're, we're going to have, we're going to have Zach around us, man. I, I think well, that's going to happen one day. Uh, cool. So um, also uh, Gilbert, and, and most people don't know this, that, <laughs> Um, Gilbert Ornelas over there and Luis Gonzalez have both, they're both patrons on this. Uh, I, I didn't know how, I didn't know what to say you guys, uh, to you guys for doing that. And, you know, it's just, All good, a, Joe. our pleasure. It, it just shows how much you believe in what we are doing. And, Amen. uh, that's, it's just way cool. Um, uh, I, I don't know how to thank you guys enough. All of y'all. So you guys got your shout outs. Thank you so much. Uh, we'll continue to do this and hopefully educate, 
um, uh, inspire and help a lot of you guys to have some incredible experiences. Also, want to thank those people that just left some reviews for us. Jimmy Dunphy from Missoula, Montana. Eric Glines from Evansville, Indiana. David Tomala from Illinois. Thank you so much for your incredible reviews. And any other people want to leave some for us to let us know what you think? Head over to Apple Podcasts. You can do it on the app on your phone. You can do it in iTunes, whichever place you want to go. Would love to have a rating. Would love to have a review from you. So Absolutely. With, uh, with that done, Gilbert, our first shout-out is <laughs> – I love this name, man. I, yeah, let me see. I think I know – yeah, I, I, I know a lot of these names for, for this week. This first one, I had no clue. Our first location is actually a neighborhood of Miami – that sits east of, and now I don't know, you might have to help me with this. I'd say Tom Miami, uh, and maybe that's where Miami gets its name, but it sits east of the Tom Miami Trail and west of the Red Road in Miami, and it's a neighborhood, actually, but Miami's so huge, right? Big town, no it, doubt. It's, a, it's a neighborhood. It's got this unique flavor, this unique tone. Uh, even its name is peculiar because the name comes from a combination of Tom Miami, the canal that limits it to the west, and Flagler, a famous street that bisects the whole area. And so the name of our top city this week is Flagami, Florida. Yeah, man, it's sure what it sounds like to me, Joe. <laughs> Flagami, Florida in the Flag-a-me, house. Flagami, Flagami, F L A G A M I. And and look, it wouldn't be the first name we butchered. Mm-mm. And uh, so well, if, I mean, if, if we're not saying it right, uh, one of you listeners, uh, please correct us. Floridians, yeah. give us some phonetic <laughs> stuff, some help here for sure, man. And, you yeah, know, they, so I, I ask people when they email us, Gilbert, I go, so how do you feel about the shout outs? I always want to get an idea if people think this is a waste of their time or what. And, right. uh, man, I tell you, a 100% I get responses that they they really enjoy this that it actually adds perspective a lot of them are amazed at how many people from back east are are interested in elk hunting and and they hear things about these different cities and these different towns the southernmost tip of florida i mean you know they did elk hunting that's bad to the bone you figure they'd be bone fishing or tarpon or something like that but well, I tell you what, man, I'd, I'd like to go down there and do some of that with them. So, <laughs> Amen, brother. You bet. Next up, Joe, the name of our next city is derived from a Dakota word often given as a name to the firstborn male child. This is also the place that you can learn to do an Olympic sport just a little bit out of the ordinary. How about an intro to curling class at the city's curling center. That's right, curling. I guess that's a sport, Joe. It's in the <laughs> Olympics, right? <laughs> oh, you're not talking about hair curling then, right? <laughs> exactly not. <laughs> no. uh, not only is it a great venue, a recent U.S. Curling National Training Center, and an opportunity to learn about a not-so-well-understood Olympic sport. But there's a great restaurant at the center with a great view of teams challenging each other on ice in Chaska, Minnesota. Chaska, Minnesota. Curling, man. It <laughs> Curling, brother, man. You, you push that big disc on the ice and then smooth it down, and that's, that's wild, I'm telling you. 
it is work. Let I me bet tell it you. is work. It I, is I just work. wonder if it derived off of a beer drinking sport or something. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you know, oh, softball yeah. and everything. You drink beer when you play softball. I wonder if them boys drink, you know, in the curling leagues and stuff like that, if they drink in cold beer. I mean, who knows? Well, when the USA brought back gold during the Winter Olympics, Changed that it. really brought a lot of attention. You know, a lot of people yeah. would watch that. And they were like, what are them dudes with the broom doing to that ice out there? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Was it's that a so Slavic cool. sport, Joe? I mean, you think that's where it kind of started over oh, in Slovenia? Well, or I don't know, man. I yeah. Okay, so let's say it is because it had to come from somewhere. But, I you reckon know, the Indians started it over here. So I, I just think it's so cool because when I read about this, at this curling center, their classes are like sold out. They're like, wow. yeah. yeah. And that's crazy. It's really, really neat that something different, something unique that Chaska gets to take so much pride in. And I imagine, you know, uh, they they hear all of the, the comments and stuff like that. But I got news for you. These people um, take a lot of pride in their center and take a lot of pride in that sport. And I tell you, a tip of the hat from the Elk Bros to Chaska, bud. Absolutely. Yep. So next up, the name of this city comes from an Iroquois word used to describe an area where trees grow in shallow water. The path, and that's capital, P-A-T-H, is the largest underground pedestrian system in North America. Listen to this, Gilbert. This is a underground pedestrian system. Now, I've been in one before over in Minnesota, in fact, in Rochester, where you're going underneath the city. This one has over 1,200 stores and restaurants and 20-plus miles of connected walkways. And it has over 200,000-plus people that use this underground path system every day. Can you imagine that? Yeah, been in it. Been to you Toronto. Been several, oh, yeah, been to Toronto several times. Toronto, Ontario. Yes, sir. That's a, that's a really cool place, man. Toronto, Calgary, all really neat cities, man, in Canada. Oh, and this is last week. Our top listener was one of our um, cities from the north up there, one of our Canadian provinces. And now we have Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and we get so many listeners up there in Canada. I think it's pretty awesome. That is way cool, man. Well, Joe, next up in this city, this Texas city with ties <laughs> to historical figures such as Cabez de Vaca, LaSalle, and Stephen F. Austin recently found itself with a population explosion of ducks. That's what? right, ducks. <laughs> in fact, the city encouraging its residents to temporarily become duck hunters to help decrease the growing Muscovy duck population. And we call those model ducks down here, musk duck. In fact, the problem is so bad, feeding the ducks can result in a criminal charge and civil penalties in none other than right down the road from me, Joe, in Pearland, Texas. You want to go hunt some ducks there, Gil? No, man, those, those are them <laughs> weird-looking ducks, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Marble ducks. Marble ducks. I just wanted to clarify something on the curling. 
curling came from Scotland, Joe. I looked it up while we were oh, talking. Oh, it, it originated in the 16th century in Scotland. In Scotland? Yes, sir. They got ice in Scotland? You know, yeah, heck yeah, buddy. It gets cold in Aberdeen. Oh, for man. Sure. Yeah. I, you know, I think of Scotland, Ireland, I, I think of green. You know, I just think right, of, right. yeah. Well, but, and it is in the rainy season for I'll sure. I'll be there. all the time, man. It's amazing. You start drinking them mugs of ale, what you'll do, right? And scotch. (laughs) (laughs) But last but not least, known as the gateway to Yellowstone National Park, travelers coming from the west use this as a stopping point before heading to Yellowstone. With the Snake River literally snaking through the city, whitewater rafting is a popular activity. The Salmon River also offers fantastic rafting that takes you through forested canyons and nearby sandy shorelines. And yes... There are falls in the middle of the city. Idaho Falls, Idaho. Idaho, Idaho Falls, Idaho. Man, yes, I get sir. a lot of traffic from them Idaho people up there elk hunting. That is some steep country that I've looked at, man. Is there is that grizzly country, Joe, in part of Idaho? Oh, um, so I hear a lot about the wolves. I don't, and I would imagine being that close to Yellowstone in some parts of that state, there has to be some border things happening I, I would on think there so yeah 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 mm-hmm. um well I, you know i hear there's some big elk there i got some buddies might hunt there and they kill some giants well and you can get otc tags there yep yeah so yep. a lot yep. of people talk about colorado but idaho uh is a great state for otc tags and i believe i, I want to say utah has some as well i know oregon does mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. uh those are some other states for people to think about if they don't draw yeah man for sure yep. well joe tonight's topic was actually inspired by one of our listeners wasn't it oh yeah 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 so let's give a big shout out to alex claudell from hume missouri and uh, he had actually sent a question in, and it, we're going to kind of go beyond that question for what we're talking about as far as hunting pressured areas. But he, he had sent a question that said, you mentioned people will hike out past elk that may be a half mile or a mile off trailheads, roads, etc." And he said, Joe, with your experience in Colorado, do you think this still applies in the heavy pressured areas where there are tons of OTC public land hunters? And so, Alex, first of all, thanks for the question. He actually has another question we're going to hit in our mailbox tonight. Uh, But my first answer to you, bud, is absolutely. If you take in certain considerations and variables. uh, (laughs) So I don't want to be a politician with this, but uh, I, I want to help you out so you can understand why. So, guys, listeners, when you're talking about pressured areas, a lot of different hunters, and being able to hunt those, you need to first understand where and when the largest majority of those hunters are going to hunt. Uh, And then sometimes that, the way I look at it, you got to kind of think a little bit outside the box, and I'll explain that. Uh, Instead of just giving you the answer, the first thing I want to do for our listeners, Gilbert, is I want to give them a skill set to help them solve this problem on their own. It's that same fish and fisherman thing, right? You bet. So (laughs) I'm going to first answer this question with some questions. So guys, for those of you that are going to hunt OTC, especially all of those coming from out of state, I want you to really sit and think, 
what is the mentality that you have as far as your hunting plan on where you need to go from everything that you've listened to from podcasts like this, from uh, reading things in magazines, right? What is the mentality for all of these out-of-state hunters? What is their hunting plan on where they need to go? Think about that. Gilbert, most of the time when we hear that, they're telling them the deeper the better, right? Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah no, no doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, don't, don't stay around, you know, go as far as you can. Yeah. You know, don't stay around traffic, this, that, and the other, when they can be passing up some real hidden gems. Right. So, guys, what would be your thoughts coming from your state to a new area? What are your fears when it comes to getting lost or just staying someplace familiar? What are your concerns about getting too far off the beaten path? Look, those are the things that not only are in your mind, they're in hundreds and hundreds of other guys' minds. That's right. Yeah, they're going someplace that they have never been before, that when you first step out and you look at it and you look around you and realize that you're surrounded by <laughs> such a big country, it can be intimidating. Sure. Um, there, I, I don't, you know, to me, I don't see fear in it, but some people do when they do that. So that's one of the reasons that those types of feelings are going to guide where they're going to go. Now I'm going to give you something else. Um, let's stop and think about what if you actually lived and worked in that state? You bet. How would that change your thought processes? Would you, like so many others that have to work, have certain days or weekends that would maximize your hunt time? Where would you hunt to maximize that hunt time, especially if you only had weekends? Are you going to now go in and go way back into the back back there? Ah, uh, maybe not, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Now, I know some guys that do. I have some friends that do. There's some diehards. But basically, a lot of people are going to camp someplace where they can get in, they can drop a trailer, and they're going to hunt you know, maybe a, a mile, two miles from those trailheads. If there's people that live in state, those guys have a little bit better knowledge, have a little better communication. They're going to spread out a little bit better. But for yep. those guys coming from out of state, man, they look at those maps and they look at all that scouting. They find those trailheads and that's where they're going to go from because that trail is security, right? Yep. And they're going to do it in a timeline that – maximizes they're going to do it at they're going they've heard all the stuff about moon phases they're going to do all of that stuff so i want you to get that stuff in your head i want you to think about that because when you start answering those questions it starts telling you the places that you should probably go because of all of that pressure right, right. it's so funny if it's kind of like when I taught school, we had all these kids trying to be different. Uh, they were everybody trying to be so different that all of them were being alike. And the same yeah. principle applies here. If everybody's trying to get away from everybody and get way back there, then everybody's way back there. Right. Yeah. So guys, when it comes to this question on pressure, most, most hunters actually already have a lot of the answers if you really think about it, because the majority of hunters are going to think just the same as you do. We all do. So the key is to take that info and adapt our behaviors to find the holes in what everybody else is doing. 
Okay, so for example, for guys using a trailhead, that hole could be in that three to five mile range, out of the reach for most day hunters yep. and weekend warriors and not far enough for the diehards, you right? Bet. So when you, when you do that, when you think about that, take a look at those areas, draw those circles, you know, um, look at those distances from those trailheads and, and if that's where you're going to have your starting point. But guys, let me tell you what, there is a ton of great country paths just to get and park at that trailhead. Not one mile, two miles off the road. But guys still want to go to that trailhead. Why? Get away from the pressure. Yeah. And because that trailhead, Gilbert, and that trail is a security blanket. Right. Yeah, they're not, they can't get lost. Right. You know, if, if I know where this trail is and I have this map and I decide to go east of that trail, I know if I go west, I'm going to hit that trail, right? Yeah. If, if I go on the east side of it, you know, it's, it's just, it's a security blanket. Sure. Well, and, and I, I would like to just interject and we can take a fear right out of that page if all our listeners will download Onyx. And I mean, that fear goes away, man. You've got everything at your fingertips. You know, if you're worried about your... If you're worried about your battery going dead, you got a bat, you got a big backpack. Put you a, another charger that goes in there. You know, a, a self battery with a little bit of a cord, and you ain't never going to run out of battery. You know, yep. they can make them now where you charge eight, ten times on a cell phone charge, right? So you're just not going to be out of battery ever, and you can't get lost. I mean, you could just trek off all you want, and then power up your your uh, onyx and know exactly where you're at. And I'll tell you another reason a lot of guys go to those trailhead Gilbert is that they, they want to make sure that they are hunting that country that looks like the typical elk country. I mean, it's mm-hmm. got that, that beautiful high mountain meadows. You got those Aspen parks, you got, you know, the gorgeous uh, hills and green and stuff like that. And, you know, they drive by a lot of country that does not look like that typical elk country. And I can tell you this, and we have made our living hunting that type of country. You bet. Right? I, I would, and I, I look, I love the big parks and beautiful meadows and high country stuff. I mean, look, I, I love that. But man, when it gets thick, that's when I like it. Cause you're going to get them in close. You're going to get them in tight. Exactly. You know, you're going to know when they're coming. Um, yep. and, and you can set up better. Your wind's easier to monitor. Everything else. It's really hard when you break out on a herd that's in a big park and there's tons of eyeballs. Man, now you're, you just got a lot harder to get it done. Well, just right? the nature of a lot of those forests, uh, you know, are a little bit where – there's a lot of gaps in between the trees and there's yep. a lot of visibility and, and it's, it, it is flat out gorgeous and it's beautiful to see those elk walking through those, but mm-hmm. it is tough for a bow hunter. Now, a rifle mm-hmm. hunter, oh, it's a whole yeah. different ball game, right? Way different, man. Yeah. Just set me on the end of that park. We know they're going to come. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but when we're talking bow hunters, that that's a little bit different story. And, and I, and, and I can even tell you this too, for those rifle hunters, 
a lot of times in a lot of that country too, all of a sudden those bulls disappear out of that country. And I can tell you where you're going to find them is in that non-typical ugly country that most people do not see as being the typical elk habitat. And we're talking scrub oak, we're talking juniper, we're even talking sage with canyons and trees and stuff intermittent in that. You know what, I hearken back to a time when Carl and I, before just before he passed away, um, man, we were hiking up this really steep ridge. And we were going, we didn't hear a bugle or anything. We're just going up to the nastiest part of this country. And he's like, you know, the elk ain't down here with us. Let's go up there and see if they're up there in this nasty country. And, I mean, it took us a good long while to get up there because he was dragging my fat butt halfway up there. But at the end of the day, when we got up there, Joe was so thick and so treacherous, huge boulders and, I mean, just really treacherous country. Mm-hmm. And then it dropped off in this huge ravine. And we're sitting there, just got done eating a sandwich and uh, or eating some granola and stuff. And I stood up and a cow elk is looking eyeball to eyeball at me at 35 yards to my left. Right. And I grabbed him by the arm and I went, Carl, there's an elk. And, you know, he he's hard of hearing. And he's like, huh? <laughs> said, Carl, there's an elk right there. And he turned and looked and he goes, hell you say. <laughs> he couldn't see through me, you know. I said, right there. And about that time I hear I hear a cow call up across the ravine from us. And sure enough, here comes a big bull riding, coming down. Well, that cow saw us and she bolted, but didn't bother the other part of the herd that was up there on that really tight side of that ravine. Mm-hmm. It's nasty country up there, mm-hmm. right? So the bull's coming. He's about 95 yards off and he's got a bunch of this in front of him like that, Joe. I mean, so I can't really make a shot across the ravine. I look down below me and a and look, I got an either sex tag and you know me, brother, if it's brown, it's getting it right. I don't care if it's a cow or, or that's or absolutely bull. right. Yes, sir. I, I'm the, I'm just that way. I'm eat it, you know? So in mm-hmm. bow hunting's hard enough. I ain't getting picky anymore. So, <laughs> and we had made this unbelievable track up this hill. And, uh, so anyway, I looked down below and right in the bottom of that ravine out walks a mammoth cow. I'm talking about a booner, right? She walks out and, so I looked down, I looked at him and he looked at me and I drew and he thought I was just playing. <laughs> he didn't, he knew that bulls across there. He thought I was just joking. Like, no, oh, he ain't going to, he just drawing to get some experience. And, wow, boy. I mean, I center punched her, you know, right through the heart. Mm-hmm. And she did not run downhill, Joe. She turned and went up the thickest stuff she could go. Heart it, shot. Heart shot. I mean, yep. straight. I got a picture of the heart and yep. the, there's a broad head going right through the middle of it. Yep. She ran up that side of that gnarly mountain and died up there about 90 yards in some of the nastiest stuff you'll ever want to see. But when we got up top, it was full of rubs and droppings and it was a bedding area. And yep. that's where those elk, they, if they came down, they came down real early and went up real early. So let me, let me, nasty, let me give you some country. other information on that, Gil, because I don't know if you remember how that all came about, but you guys were in camp before I was. That's right. And I came driving into camp. You guys had already been hunting, I think, for two days when I came into camp. Yes, I, yes. Came in, <laughs> I came into camp and I see Carl and Carl comes over and says, 
we're in trouble. <laughs> like, what do you mean? Ain't no elk. I ain't found one. <laughs> and I was like, well, what are you talking about? I just passed a whole herd down in the bottom off the turnoff road to come up here. In yeah. other words, I, the main road down in the bottom, when I took and started driving into where everybody was going to camp to sure. start hunting, I passed, I drove through the country that everybody, every hunter up in there has been passing every day. And that herd was down there in the bottom in that country, not up in the high country. And I, I told Carl, I said, man, they're just right down there in the bottom. Like you said, in that ravine down there, yeah. and you guys went down there and sure enough, you got right on that herd right away. So, and the bull that was in there was a giant man. I oh, mean, man. A really big bull, but I wasn't waiting. I crawled up that big ridge and I'm like, huh. And she died on the top. Thank God I had guys like you and everybody had made one trip getting her out of there. But whoo, man, coming down that rascal with pack full, that was a that was a chore in itself. I think I slid halfway down it, but the, 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 the message that I want all of our listeners to hear out of that is that I guarantee you a hundred hunters in some way, shape, or form, had been driving around this area, past yep. this area, for probably three or four days. And those elk, instead of heading to the high country, bailing out the area, just let everybody go right by them. So that's an important point for you to remember. And, and another thing, you talk about ugly, non-typical, that was it. I mean, at the very top of this ridge, nasty, hard to get to, right? I mean, it took us, you know, half the morning to crawl up there to see if there was anything up there. Right. And I mean, it wasn't easy. You know, the average guy's not going to do that. Right. You know, for not, to, not to mention it's really close to the, you know, entrance of where everybody's coming in. And then you're going to go up the nastiest slope to try to see what's on top. You know, and right. that top's probably maybe 15 acres up mm -hmm. there on the top, you know, and loaded with bull elk and cow elk. Yeah, I'll give you another story that happened just this last October on the rifle hunt. I was taking out uh, uh, a guy on a rifle hunt, and my first day went to every single one of my beautiful honey holes up in the <laughs> best country where the best feed and all of that that have always been spots and there was not an animal to be seen and the next morning when we're driving because we're actually coming in from town driving into the hunting area when we're driving into there down in the bottom scrub country that our road was going through in the dark we had three bulls in different areas on the side of the road it'd be one here two miles later there's a bull on the side of the road three miles later there's a bull on the side of the road well I might not be the brightest person in the world, but and you don't have to hit me over with the head with a dumb stick because for me to figure out, well, if I'm seeing bulls down here in this bottom, why are we going up? So that morning we went, we stayed down in the lower country, got to a point where we could look and sure enough found a whole group of bulls down in that ugly scrub oak country and got on them. And the next morning in a moon, in a moonlight it, again it was one of those situations that a lot of people don't want to hunt it was a full moon situation but we used it to our advantage to slip in get in position and at 
daylight, at daylight before that bull had moved up out of the feed area, we were able to get on him just on the edge and to be able to take that bull. So, awesome. uh, uh, you know, guys, I'm just telling you, in that country, when you get down to some of that lower country, that scrub oak, uh, if it's um, around any kind of, if there's agricultural stuff going on in those areas, if there's juniper in those areas, down in sage, these critters are going to go places where they can still get food. They still, uh, you know, they're people driving right by them. So they, they feel secure. All right. Uh, so what I wanted to tell you out of this as well is, is I'm going to give you a secret to pressure. No matter where you hunt. The key is not always where there is no pressure. Sometimes the key may be to hunt when there is no pressure. 100% right. So let, what do we mean by that? So let's talk about during the month, right? If you're trying to talk, if you're trying to look at times during a particular month when the pressure is less, seek out those weeks that other people avoid it. Just like I talked about, a moonlit, you know, week, right? Um, look for limited weekends included in the hunt dates. In other words, if you take a look, let's say Colorado, and you look at a hunt date, and that hunt date starts out on Monday, and it ends on a weekend, and they have two other hunt dates that have weekends on both ends, I guarantee you most guys are going to take the ones with weekends on both ends, especially if they're locals or they're in-state and they can go just hunt their weekends. That gives them two weekends on that hunt to hunt instead of just one, right? Mm -hmm. So that's one. Um, Bright moon phases. Most people are going to avoid the bright moon phase. They're going to look for a dark moon phase. All right. So, yes, the elk are going to go into the trees most likely sooner. All right. But. Maybe that means you, you get, need to be out earlier. Yes, sir. That means you got to be on them at daylight. Okay. Uh, it, a lot of people avoid times that are either too early or too late in the rut. Okay. I tell you what, a bright moon phase for, for me as a bow hunter, man, I tell you what, awesome. yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you more on that here in a minute. Okay. Uh, the other time, like if you're trying to find when during a particular week, seek out those days that are more difficult for most other hunters to get off Monday through Thursday are difficult. Most guys got to be back at work on Monday and they're going to get out there on a Friday. So Monday through Thursday are generally your better days. Wednesday pressure. is a great, when they say hump day, I yeah. call it hunt day. All yeah. right. <laughs> it's not hump day, it's hunt day. That's uh, right. And if you can, if you can set it up on a week and let's say you do have that hunt that's got two, a weekend right. on the front and a weekend on the back. Guys, use those weekends to travel to and get into camp and set up or for breaking down at the end of it, doing what you need to do with your meat and getting out or use those first couple of days on the weekend. But you can carry, you can hunt, it's legal hunting time, but use that time and understand that, hey, it might be a little bit more difficult, but as we get into Monday, through Thursday. So I say go and drive into setup camp because you, most of you guys, uh, it helps on the days you can take off. If I can take off Friday night, that means I get to pull in either Saturday night or Sunday morning, depending how far I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. I can set up camp and I'm not worried about boogering anything or, or anything like that. And then I got plenty of time during that week when it's better to do my hunt. So 
that's one way to look at it. Now, what about day? All right. Pressure, hunting pressure. So think about the pressure that happens during the hunt day. When does it really happen? It happens pretty much from a half hour after daylight to just before dark because there are some people that are out there on things right at daylight, but there's a lot of people that don't leave camp until daylight. There's a lot of people don't leave camp till an hour after daylight. So really when the animals are hearing all this commotion is going to be, especially a lot of times there's a session from that morning until all about noon when they drive back to camp to go get yep. lunch or whatever. And then a lot of people don't head out again till two, three o'clock or something like that. And, and most of the time, most people are heading back before dark because they just don't want to get caught in the dark. So a lot of that pressure, I think of it as, as being a half hour uh, after daylight to just before. If you are a bow hunter, this is critical knowledge because there's different times that you're going to be able to look. Remember, half the battle in filling your tag is locating elk. Well, yeah, no doubt. Right? Can't hunt them if they ain't there. Well, you can, but it's pretty miserable. Right. So when there's no pressure is when bulls are going to crank off. Okay? When all the humans are in camp, they're in bed. Because, guys, elk are incredibly adaptable to our behaviors. If, yeah. if you don't think they're adaptable, go on some of these social sites and start seeing uh, all these pictures of elk eating in people's front yards, walking through the towns, walking through cities when they, when they know that they're not going to be bothered. Everybody thinks human scent scares them. <laughs> human scent in their environment when they don't know it's there is what scares them, but they are adaptable critters, right? So, if if that's if they understand that the time when there's the least pressure is at night, that's when they're going to be bugling. The best time to locate a bull is at night in the dark. If you go and you call down into a basin miles off a road at night and you get a response, you know for a fact that that is a bull responding to you and not a human because where are the humans at? In camp. In camp, right? Or they're going to be up on top of Ridge. Even if you start hearing a call at, in the evening, you start hearing a call coming from the top of a ridge, it is not a not bull, a bull. Elk. That's, That's right. a human because by nature, those guys are down in the bottom down there. Okay? Yeah. Right? They're down there where they can feed. Now, if it's a low-type ridge line stuff and they're heading to a place, it possibly could be. Yeah. But all you got to do is just stick there and listen to what that animal's doing, okay? Yeah. Um, and I tell you what, if you go out and you're calling at night, understand that 95% of the guys are out of the woods at night. And so use that to your advantage, man. Uh, yeah, it's I, huge to go. We do it a lot, go locate at night. Especially right. on our way back or whatever, man. We stop on the ridge top, you know, hit a cow call, a little location bugle, and see what we get to answer. Then we, man, you can set your whole day up for the next day. Well, and and to take a step back, I said for bow hunters, rifle hunters, 
again, that pressure time is generally from that half hour after to just before dark. And I will tell you what, the best time for you to get your bull is 15 minutes before legal shooting light is over. That last 15 minutes is the golden 15. That's generally where those guys will pop out. That doesn't mean that they haven't been feeding already and working down through a corridor. In fact, the best place for you to be and for you to be looking are in those areas that are more sparse transition areas where you can spot glass from a high point down into those and locate them and to see what they're doing. Because at the time of year that you're working them, if it's a lone bull, if it's a group of bulls, that's a bachelor group, if they've started to happen, if that started to happen, now you can kind of pattern where they're at and get on those guys day after day. So that, that, that if you're on them in that first half hour or if you're pegging them in that last 15 minutes before they come out are critical, critical time. I can't tell you guys how many times I have had a bull down before most guys have left camp. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Be- because, <laughs> because my goal is to be on them at daylight, mm-hmm. not looking for them daylight. Okay. And even if I don't get a shot at daylight, if I'm on them, if I'm close to them, that means I can shadow that group. I can shadow them up where they're going to their destination. And once they get into their bedding area and they're mm-hmm. there, dude, I'm, I'm in high cotton because they are going to stay there, right? I'm, yes. I'm at them and I'm, this is the stage is set for me to be able to kill a bull now. I have them at a location, long, no longer moving. So now I can go into, if it's a bow season, I can go into call sequences, okay, that I can do. I, I want you guys to remember this. Even in the most pressured areas, hunters with the right skill sets that understand how elk behave are still going to continue to fill their tag. I don't care if it has a five-point success rate in there. I don't care if it has a 3% success rate. Those same elk hunters that kill year after year that understand and have the skill set, and I mean, for example, in the archery season, that calling skill set that understands how to work animals that are either quiet, that are pressured, how to stay with them, how to be on them, how to understand how they behave, they're going to continue to fill their tags. Because, guys, no matter what happens, elk have to eat, elk have to drink, and during the breeding season, elk are going to breed, right? These are their weaknesses. They're herd animals. They communicate verbally and with actions that they recognize as other elk, other sounds. When you rake a tree, when you break limbs. Luis, on our last one, Gilbert was talking about when you're setting up for your shot, clearing your bubble around. Yeah. And I've seen guys that have got sticks around them or branches when they're setting up. And, uh, and they're actually the caller or the callers with them. And they're like worrying about breaking a limb. Shoot. I go over and I, with my feet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We're making lots of noise. Yeah. As we're setting up for sure. Right. And and man, guys, when you do that, be ready. Uh, you know, uh, I can only harken back to Carl Gamage and I were hunting with Steve, the, the big Canadian Steve Tucker. And, uh, we shut the mule off. And when we shut the mule off, uh, we're getting our packs on and everything. I mean, we just shut the mule off. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is 
not in an ugly area. This is in a real well traffic area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we knew that the elk were in there, uh, had been coming through there. We shut the mule off. Steve put his pack on. I put my pack on and Carl said, give me a little cow call, big boy. And <laughs> I went, yeah, one time. <laughs> I'm talking Joe. <laughs> I thought the bull was going to run us over. I mean, <laughs> he was standing maybe 60 yards to our left in the, in the scrub pines. And I went, I mean, I went, and Steve Tucker thought this was like, you know, make believe he, he, he's like, ain't no way that bull's right there. Y'all are jacking with me. Somebody's in the woods over there and y'all were jacking with me. Right. And, uh, Carl grabbed him and shoved him down behind that mule. He goes, get ready. <laughs> he's like, we just shut the mule off, you know? And uh, the big bull, you could see his horns coming across the jack pines, and the fog was rolling in on us that morning. And we had a little switcheroo and a gift from the gods from the wind, and boom, it hit that bull. But that's, ex- I mean, be ready, guys. When y'all get ready to roll, be ready because you are in elk country. They are where they are, you know. And, One hunt, uh, Chav and I, we were coming into elk camp in a, in, into an area that we hadn't been in. And we came in late at night, you know, and uh, we ended up driving on a two track that became, I don't like a riverbed and branches and stuff. And that truck is going through this. And I stopped to get my bearings to get out and to take a look outside with the flashlight. I opened the truck and there is a bull elk not 40 yards away from us in the dark screaming because that truck was making that rack screaming at us i'm heat screaming so i go over i go let's see chav i go over there and i start stomping on some stuff he just comes right back at us man it uh and i mean it was full blown kind of goofy man oh yeah time of year and yeah. that's when you got to exploit it you know well yeah they're they're herd animals they're verbal they have yeah. a smell right there's all of these things that you can work against them and i know a bunch of guys are going out there and they're going well what if everybody did that you know what you're talking about guys don't worry they won't I, I, yeah 90 percent of them won't you're right no, joe 90% no it, it, it takes a special breed and even if there were others out there at night, like I said, and they're calling from the tops or they're calling from the roads, you're going to recognize that. Uh, you know that it's a hunter because of where it's coming from. Yeah, man, it's on top of the bridge. You know that's yeah. a hunter. Right. If it comes from the bottom, though, Joey, that's, that's a bull. Yeah, and most You know definitely. there's one down there. And once you hear one down in a bottom, all you got to do is, man, you you peg where that's at right there. You yeah. take a look on your onyx. You look at where it's at. You peg that. And, buddy, you are on it before daylight that next morning because that's where they're going to yeah. be. You put them to bed. Just like guys do with turkeys, putting that's them it. to bed and on a roost. Bed on a roost. Exactly. Yeah. It's the exact same thing. And so that, that's got to ring to a bunch of you hunters listening because I know a lot of our eastern boys are going, Man, I do that with a turkey. Heck yeah. yeah There's a lot that. of similarities between turkey hunting and elk hunting. Now, yeah. it's a whole lot different packing out that little 20-pounder than this 800-pounder. <laughs> yeah. and, and you don't have to worry about scent, right? Right. But there are a lot of similarities. In fact, when we tell you to 
if, if you get with the group in the morning to, to shadow that group and to get to where they bed, because that's the best time to get a, a bull during the rut that we're talking about uh, for, for bow hunters, that's the best time to get a bull. It's the same. When is the best time to call in a, a, a turkey, man, is after those hens have gone to, uh, they've, they've gone to sit the, the nest. Nest, that's right. Yeah, that's a best time to pull in a tom right there. So uh, a lot of that's similar, okay? Uh, so I, I wanted that to, to ring true to you guys, and, and I wanted you to understand that when we are talking about pressure, remember that uh, it's not only about where there's no pressure, the key can also be about when there is no pressure. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking for where's no pressure, take a look at those roads that are going in, that are going to those trailheads, and start looking at those areas a, ha a, a mile to two miles off those roads going in that are public land to hunt that everybody's driving by. Start taking a look at that. Start looking at maybe other roads within the distance to where you can get in that middle area yep. between uh, uh, areas of roads. Yeah, that, look at the feed sources and water sources that exactly, feed Exactly, exactly. So uh, hope that helps you as, as far as that, man. That's That's our... Uh, and I hope um, that, uh, Alex, we answered your question, because I, I tell you what, we hunt an incredibly populated area. and See we people get a, every day. We, we see hunters every day. We go by hunters every day, and we've gone 200 yards past hunters that we've talked to and killed a bull. So... Just yeah, man, I, I tell everybody, you're 100 acres at a time. You know, it's all you can really hunt, maybe less than that, 50 acres at a time. Yeah. And then you just keep moving. You know, you keep moving the, the the target, and you just keep moving, and you keep moving and covering ground. And, uh, look, we cover – what I want our listeners to understand is we cover a tremendous amount of ground in an, a morning hunt or a full-day hunt. I mean, talking a tremendous amount of foot miles, right? Uh, that are in some of the roughest country you want to look at, uh, and, and but we're not scared to do that. And and part of that not being scared, man, is about having this onyx, dude. It's totally just uninhibited, knowing exactly. Don't care where we're going because when we show up and it's nightfall or whatever it is, oh well, ain't no big deal. We're gonna get back, you know. Yep. We understand how to use a compass. We understand how to use a topo map. We understand how to use. We always have two good flashlights with us. Yeah. And headlamp, and a, spare, and a, two a, headlamp a flashlight, and a spare set of batteries. You yep. know, definitely. And, and, you know, and back at our bike, we got backups for the backup, you know, or yep. whatever we're traveling, whether it be in a vehicle or whatever. What I want our listeners to understand, Joe, is take that fear away from your your do-it-yourself hunt. Take that fear away from having that over-the-counter tag. Be fearless. Go in there. Get to the ugly stuff. But don't. But look at that stuff that's off the fringes of the busy stuff too, because people sure. are going to way go past that. They sure are. Especially and if you guys haven't listened to our uh, podcast called "The Gutsy Hunter," yeah. uh, go listen to it because no that, that's what we talk about. We talk about hunting fearless. 
and and tell you how to do that. All right. Uh, Gilbert, let's go to Elkboro's mailbox, man. We haven't done Sounds this. Sounds good. Let's answer some questions. Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, we're going to start with Alex again. Uh, he had a question. He says, uh, my question is regarding using decoy in your setups. I know everything is situational and can, will change with different scenarios. But as a solo hunter, would you rather set up your cow decoy behind you and throw your cow call back at it as a bull is approaching? or use it for cover to close the distance like you've mentioned before. Additionally, allowing you to flick its ear, give it movement uh, to give the bull further confidence that there's a, a real cow in front of them. Great question, Joe. Oh, it's a super question because I, We've done I've both. used, yeah, I've, I've done both. And it depends on the situation. Like he says, there's a lot of variables that happen. But I, I can tell you this, the, the problem sometimes of trying to set up a decoy behind you, especially if you're a solo hunter, which he's talking about, and then you go up and you start calling and something changes in the situation. You got to move to get with that animal and to stay with that animal. Now you got to go back, pull up that decoy, get it folded up, get it. And you got to move on again. And I, I tell you what, we used that ultimate predator decoy this last year. Mm. And I was thoroughly impressed because what's cool about that is Gilbert and I can be a team. I can have that decoy on my bow, Gilbert not have one on his bow, and I can get that bull's attention, and I can I can have the shot as the caller with that bull on my bow, and Gilbert can have the shot as uh, as in, being in place in a different spot up on me. So um, to answer your question, Alex, is you're exactly right. There's variables. I still. Generally, when I used a decoy in the past, I used it in a situation where I had a shooter up ahead of me, and then I had the decoy with me doing the call and to pull him past. As a solo hunter, it was a lot more difficult to do that. I did not use the decoy that much as a solo hunter until we got the ultimate predator. Yeah. The ultimate predator changes the ball game, and it, you're exactly right. You can have that up. You can make those calls. You can give some realism by flicking that ear, and it's a whole different ball game. If you need to move in on some animals, uh, it's interesting. I love having fun seeing how much I can get away with because you learn a lot. Oh yeah, you learn a lot doing that. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I would I would implore our our guests and our listeners. I know where you're going. You're going to hunt with the predator decoy. <laughs> shoot with the predator decoy on your bow. Be prepared, right? Uh, yeah. I would I would because it's challenging looking down through the middle of that thing. So at the end of the day, just if you're going to hunt with it, you better practice with it. You know? Yes, sir. Definitely. You know? at, hey. at the end of the day, I, I loved the predator decoy. Uh, and, and I hunt with, the, we hunt with us. If I was going by myself somewhere, I'd have it. I can guarantee you that. I'd, Gilbert, you know, I want to use it over at your place trying to walk up on pigs. My work. I my would work. love to don't try smell that. You. Yeah, right. As long as they don't smell you, it yeah. might work. You For know? them to see that, I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, they see cattle all the time, so I don't yeah. think that would alarm them at all. Uh, yeah. You know, that would uh, that would be pretty cool to watch for yeah, sure. That'd be fun. It'd be fun to do. Hey, bud, you know where Bastrop County is? 
I know exactly where Bastrop County is. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, one of the things I wanted to tell our listeners is we love these questions. Oh, heck you yeah. guys want your questions answered on our segment here in the Elk Bros mailbox, please send us your questions at info at elkbros.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review us. It's really how we get a little bit stronger and can keep bringing you the content we bring you. So we're going to have fun with this next one, buddy. Uh, I, I know it, <clears throat> and we're going to get serious about it, and we're going to have a little fun with it sure. um, because I think it's going to hit home with a lot of people. This next question is from Austin Bohannon from Bastrop County, Texas. Austin uh, sent a letter, and he's actually, I think he's about 25 years old, and this guy is just uh, getting it done in his life. He is now a the uh, game biologist in Bastrop County. Uh, oh, wow. He's he's buying his first home. He's getting married this summer. Uh, he's got his first job, first house, and first well, uh, only wife. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, good deal. Yeah, it's a good deal. And uh, his question says: So, me and my best friend have had our first elk hunt planned for this coming fall to go OTC the first week of season in Colorado with some guys who have been doing it for a while and are usually successful. The problem that I'm having is that I'm 25 years old, new job, under contract, uh, with buying my fiancés and my first house and plan on getting married on July 4th in the Davis Mountains of West Texas. With all of this going on, would you still push through with the original elk hunting plans, even if it means not getting top-notch gear this year and having to cut corners or wait until next year? Also, how would you break it to the new wife that we're not going to have a honeymoon, but I'm going on an elk hunt, ha-ha. <laughs> she, she is a big supporter of elk hunting and she loves hunting herself so i'm hoping she's okay with it she already knows about it so it's not like i'm just breaking the news <laughs> there's a lot of parts to this question gilbert <laughs> uh, there are and first of all austin uh, i will uh in- Congratulations on congratulations Austin man on all of your newfound success congratulations yes, sir. on you getting married getting a job your house brother I'm going to tell you something elk hunting's going to be there for a long time for you but what I do want you to do is be honest with your wife don't lie to her about one thing absolutely you, you let her know what your passion is and if she knows that, she's going to support you. And I would even go as far as to tell your hunting partner that you got that you may have another hunting partner with you. Uh, I would invite her to go with you on your elk hunt, brother, and have a honeymoon in the mountains. Yeah, you know the the thing that that rung true to me, man, was was awesome when you said, "So me and my best friend have had uh, our first elk hunt planned." Well. What I tell you is you're marrying your best friend. You better be. And uh, <laughs> and and you have something real special here in that you said that she loves hunting herself. And yeah. she's uh, a, a big supporter of elk hunting. Get her I, in the woods, the, brother. I think the richest hunt you could have, man, is to have your two best friends with you. And to do that, and I think it will not only pay huge dividends in y'all's future, 
as husband and wife, but it's going to pay huge dividends in y'all's future as, as hunting partners. Because when a lot of those other hunting partners are going to not be able to get off work or not be able to make it, or they have obligations with their family or with their spouse, your best friend, your hunting partner right there, your live-in hunting partner will always be available, man. And uh, I, I think if I were you, my advice would be, first of all, to be asking my wife, my wife-to-be, if she'd like to join us out there, you know. Amen, uh, 100%. But, yeah. And, I, I'm telling you guys, there's nobody that gets to go hunting and fishing and traveling the world more than me. I got one of the greatest wives a man could ever have. I've been very blessed. 28 years uh, with the same lady, uh, and she knows that hunting was my first love, but she's my first lady. And at the end of the day, uh, I don't ever lie to her about anything. I tell her exactly what's coming, what's expected. I hunted started elk hunting 10 years ago. Asked for it for my birthday. After my first hunt, I came back a changed man, and I asked her for that present every year as long as we could afford it and it wasn't taken away from our family for the rest of my life that I could travel up and down a mountain. That's how much I felt like it contributed to me. And look, if my wife loved elk hunting, she'd be with me. Right. Uh, she doesn't. She doesn't hunt. She loves to fish and stuff like that, but hunting's not her bag. But she's Same never here. once, never once kept me from doing what I love to do and uh, and has never given me any problems about it at all. But I was, I'm a hundred percent honest with her. I never lied to her about anything and trust. If you build your relationship on a rock of trust, brother, it's going to be really hard for anybody else to ever come against it. Sure. And you know, I, I, I thought it was, uh, I, I love the part of your question when you said, how would you break it to the new wife? That we're not having I ain't breaking that, bro. Uh, it ain't happening, man. No. <laughs> that's, that's on you. you. That's on you, yeah. Austin. You, you on your that. own, Austin. Us here at Elk Bros are never going to tell you to do that. <laughs> Believe uh, <yeah>. me, brother. <laughs> you know, uh, and there's one other thing that I wanted to hit you with too, bud, is that you said, so let's say you and you do plan to go hunting with your wife and uh, your two best friends. And you said that it means not getting top-notch gear this first year. Uh, okay. So in the same words that I told Manano one time out in the woods when he said we needed to be quiet because we were getting close to an elk, I, I simply told him, screw that. Yeah. Because, buddy, you do not need top-notch gear to go out and hunt elk. You you need uh, you need a it's good weapon and I, I Gilbert I've seen the deer that him and his wife have killed man these guys are are getting it done so sure. they, they got the equipment they know what they're doing they have camouflage uh, you don't have to have the biggest and best of anything mm -hmm. I the stuff I hunted in when I first started this was I and I asked Gilbert I still hunt in tennis shoes yes, right he does. and uh, I I had. Uh, my pack was a uh, basically uh, the same pack I used for carrying books at school. Um, I, you know, my bow uh, was what I could afford at the time. I shot aluminum arrows. I've been shooting wasp broadheads forever, and they used to be very inexpensive broadheads at the time. Uh, my camo, uh, I ended up going to different places at uh, 
yard sales. I bought some camo. In fact, I, I cut the sleeves off and so I could have short sleeves in warm weather. They were long sleeve. Uh, nothing on me ever matched or does to this day ever matches. So that's the whole thing about gear keeping you out of the woods is the exact reason we have this show. Yes. Gear should never keep any of you out of the woods. As long as you can afford the license, the gas to get there, the food, bologna, whatever it takes, because I lived off bologna and peanut butter and jelly, yep. uh, whatever it takes for you to be able to put something in your belly, to have some nourishment. It don't cost nothing to get water in jugs. You can freeze ice in jugs so you have stuff in cooler. There's ways of doing this so it does not break the bank, and it should not, all right? Yeah. Now, all that other stuff that makes you a little more comfortable, if you can get that, thumbs up. Great. I'm, I'm happy for you, you know, but... Don't worry about having to have top-notch gear. Yeah. All right? My last the, – the biggest thing is taking care of your wife, brother. <laughs> I would tell you, the gear, the gear deal, <laughs> man, I, I'd show up in blue jeans and a dadgum sweatshirt. It doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. I, I really feel that way. No doubt camouflage is nice and stuff like that. But, look, I think I could get away with wearing woodland camo – uh, from wherever you could get it. And oh, definitely. Just to break up some silhouette, man. Yep. And then get out there and get you some dirt and rub it on your face and take the shine off your face. I mean, there's just so much you could do that you don't have to have. Uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that. The thing I would worry about Austin is trying to make a way for my wife to go if she wanted to go. That's yeah. what I, yeah, absolutely. Look, three people in the woods, Joe and I've had this conversation a bunch. It was a little taboo at first, but I'm going to tell you right now, I, I personally, I'd rather hunt three guys. I would too. Just because man, somebody's going to get a shot. Yeah. You know, the way the elk try to circle downwind, there's always going to be a guy on that end that's going to get, and we rotate, man. If one's already killed something, man, he's, he's the guy up calling and putting on the show and the next guy rotates out. I mean, it's fantastic. You know? Yeah, and, and there's got to be, I mean, as a team, all three, you got to hunt as a team, you got to communicate, it. and that's a whole nother podcast, but I hope we answered so. your question, and we are so happy for you, bud. You and, bet, man. Congrats, and, uh, Austin. Yeah, and, and hopefully one day uh, we can hit, the, I can head through Bastrop County and, and shake your hand and congratulate you, all right? You bet, man. Um, so, uh, Mike Wilson uh, that I have here. Mike, I, I want to apologize, Mike. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I believe, I believe Mike is in Utah. Yes, oh, cool. he's, uh, I believe Mike's in Utah, and uh, and he had asked. He's he's one of our patrons, and he had asked some questions, much, and 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 I'm gonna go ahead and answer these questions because um, his first question was, "Are you still planning to launch an elk academy?" And you're you're again. Heck yes, I am. I'm working on it every opportunity I get. And uh, however, there's some things that have come up in in my life because of uh, uh, because of my uh, my best friend, my brother, uh, coming down with cancer. That uh, my focus has been totally on his recovery, his health, and it keeps me away from home and being able to film and be on my computer. So it it, it really put uh, a slowdown on that but uh it is in there will be part of that launched in time before this hunting season it is 
if I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. So, uh, yes, sir, we are. And I apologize that it's been delayed. Uh, it's a dream of mine. It's something that uh, I really want to be something that represents not only myself, but the rest of my Oak Bros. Uh, and, and I'm a little bit anal about things. So <laughs> sometimes uh, it, I have to put a lot more extra work into it. Okay. So yes, it, it is going to happen. And just so you guys know, we're getting ready to launch our, our, our store, Elk Bros Gear Store, uh, with some hats and some uh, uh, swag of, of some of our Elk Bros stuff with some of our sayings on the shirts uh, that uh, we're excited about. And that's getting ready to launch in less than the, a month here. So uh, That's awesome, Joe. I've seen the swag, the merch, and uh, <laughs> it's been fantastic dealing with some great people in uh, – you know, in time, we'll talk about those people. But at the end of the day, I can't wait to launch the store and have some of our Elk Bros merch out there that'll be trapsing around the woods. I got to say one time, you know, guys think, you know, well, you know, y'all are probably sponsored. Y'all are wearing this gear, that gear, whatever. Fellas, let me tell you something. If Joe tells you he's wearing it or if I tell you I'm using it, we don't recommend anything on our podcast that we're not 100% using. This year we ran up on some guys that listen to the podcast. And uh, I'm trying to remember that young man's name. Uh, Soto, Fidel? his last name was. Yeah, uh, no, not Fidel, Soto? but Amadeo, Amadeo Soto. Soto. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He walked up to me and he looked down at my boots and he looked at my pack. He goes, man, you do wear those boots that you were talking about. <laughs> you do wear that pack. I'm like. Yeah, man, we're not lying to everybody, brother. You know what I mean? We, we wear that gear. You know, we use this gear. I mean, it, it is uh, it's something that, that we're passionate about. And y'all stay tuned, man. We got some really cool stuff that's coming out. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, Joe's we're vision, Joe's vision is superb. I 100% back it. And, uh, you know, we got some guys behind us that got some horsepower, too, that are going to lend to that. And uh, it's going to be really cool with, you know, shirts, hats, camo. I mean, it's going to be cool, man. So y'all yeah, stay tuned. It's, it's, it's cool to wake up and see the dream happening, right? No doubt. No doubt. Uh, so his second question was, scouting, uh, scouting hiking at night sounds awesome. <laughs> and it's funny, we just talked about this. Yeah. But I'm always a bit worried about encountering a mountain lion. In your experience, do they avoid people even alone at night? Um, <laughs> uh, I think you need to be prepared, Joe. You need to be prepared, but I think most mountain lions are more scared of you than you are of them, uh, I, especially 30, if you make noise. 38 years, I have never had – I've come across a lion kill, uh, kind of put a little shiver down my spine knowing that you that career was somewhere around me, but I have never had issue with a cat – uh, at night and or at any time i've never had that encounter can it happen anything can however i believe that cats see us as a danger and the one thing that a mountain lion wants to do is prevent itself from being hurt uh, it is an opportunist but it does not it sees humans as danger okay yeah there's always a scenario where you could get in on a mountain lion with some cubs or something like that where you could corner her up and you not really know it but at the end of the day, so you got to be prepared. You got to be prepared to take action, evasive action, you know, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't keep me from being in the woods at night. You just wouldn't, you know, if you got a good flashlight and make, you know, make it a little racket and stuff like that, they're going, most of them going to be long gone before you ever know that they were there. 
Yeah, cat that smells humans is 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 knows that that is trouble, and so yeah. they don't want to be around that. And uh, um, the, I've I, only heard of one story where a mountain lion was stalking a guy in a in a call set. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, that was but, the great. great but they were damage. coming in because they thought it was another animal, right? That's right. Yeah. Thought it yeah. was another yeah. another cow calling. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, they were going to stalk that animal and found out it was it was definitely an animal all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that that happens and uh, you know i sle- i sleep out in the woods quite a bit yep. and i've slept through the night just uh traveling with animals all all the time right behind a herd and uh have never had that issue so i don't worry about that too much okay um the next one, we, we don't need to talk about the, his next thing there. He was just talking about the horror stories and how he heard that. He's talking about, he's thinking about putting a, getting a trail cam and pointing it at his truck. So in case something ever happened like that. Well, um, I mean, you know, it's, the, the next one got to be like that, but it's not yeah. a bad idea at times. This is going to be our last one from Paul Brucci from Hancock, Michigan. Paul says, myself and about six others, all either active duty or veterans. I'm going to stop right there and say thank you for your service, first of all, guys. Thank you for your service, guys. Um, are headed out to Colorado for the third rifle hunt. And that hunt is November 7th through the 13th, Gilbert. Being early November with your previous podcast about that week being a prime time, and the reason I talked about being prime time was this particular hunt in Colorado is after nine days of no hunting, right? right. And it's a, during a dark phase of the moon for these mm-hmm. rifle hunters. He said, how critical is finding a water source instead of possibly finding grazing areas due to bull leaving herds to bachelor up um so i'm going to give you you wanted some hints first of all paul uh for this and the i <laughs> if gilbert was to answer this question how important is finding a water source over grazing areas what would you tell him gilbert they slaves to their bellies <laughs> got 100 percent slaves to their bellies gotta eat yeah uh, depending on how bad the drought was during the year right it, most of that high country and stuff like that are going to have springs and those elk know exactly where they are. So the water source, I'm not in 100% like got to find, right. You got to find the food source. And, and they can get, I mean, during that time of year, you guys have a good chance. There might be some snow on the ground. Yeah. Uh, so there's different things that are going to happen as far as moisture wise for them. Food is number one, yes, because sir. at this point in time, these guys have just gotten out of the rut. They They're eat. depleted. They have to surprise. They have to survive that winter. Yep. Your number one thing is finding that food. Where are they eating at? And so I'd tell you, here's some hints, but if there is snow on the ground, Put mileage on your vehicle. I mean, get covering country, looking for track, looking for where these animals have been crossing a road. Once you find track crossing it, get to a point where you can get up and you can get binos and you can check those areas. Why were in the were they in those bottoms? Was it a corridor that they're traveling? Was it an area where they were feeding? Was it an area they're going from uh, feed to bed? really check that out even man i love track and track so um i would say put a lot of mileage on trying to locate and the tracks you're looking for are going to be those bigger track and it's going to be one to four to six to it's not going to be those big groups of 50 to 100 i've seen these uh i've seen these bachelor groups as much as 12 bulls together 
uh, even bigger at certain times. I mean, mm -hmm. I did a, a shot of a video of a bachelor group of about 20 bulls this last year in the spring. So, um, but generally it's going at this time, it's going to be smaller bachelor groups. Okay. They're going to be three to five to eight bachelor groups. So, and they're going to be bigger in the hoof than, than those cows are. And you can really kill a big bull at that time, man. They're oh, breaking definitely. off them. They're breaking off of them big herds, and they want to eat, man. And it's a real good time where you can get, you know, you got distances. Your friend, they're gonna be in them bigger parks a lot of times late and early, and man, it's just. A and good, they're going to be on hillsides eating. They're going bet. to be down in in what I call offshoots of main canyons. They like yeah. to get in those little arms because they're kind of little hidden. And you can actually be driving through a canyon just looking up in through those arms uh, as you're going and spot those guys in there sometimes, depending on the type of area you're hunting. Yeah, and Joe's right, man. If you got a big snow that's just come, they're going to push down out of that higher country and come out of that snow. And uh, so put your miles on your vehicle and on your feet, brother. Yeah, definitely. Find glassing points. Wherever area you're going in to hunt, already start spotting those glassing points that you can look down onto other areas to look on those west and south-facing slopes. Try to get on areas where when you're glassing, you have the sun at your back. Uh, so that those animals are shining more. So uh, if you have the sun coming up out of the, you know, east in the morning, you might want to be looking on some of those west slopes uh, if, and just uh, vice versa. So um, uh, that's one thing to do. Let your eyes do the hunting for you. And please make sure that you're ready to glass with very warm clothes, okay? And like Gilbert said, man, think food, food, food. All right. Yeah, one hundred percent. And dress warm, guys. Got to stay warm. Got to stay warm. Got to stay hydrated when we're out there. So, so a good thing is if you're hiking up to a point to glass, you keep your extra clothes in your pack so you don't over sweat and get a layer of water, a uh, layer of moisture on your skin so that you're freezing once you get up there. Uh, you want to make sure you try to. In fact, Chav, a lot of times we wear one shirt, you know, because again. We didn't have all that expensive uh, under, you know, base layer. So he'd wear one shirt, have another one with him. Believe it or not, even in low temperatures, we get to an area, we pull those shorts, those shirts, those damp ones off, put a dry one on, and then put our other layers over top of us, and we're cooking with Crisco. Yep. No all right. Doubt. Yeah, it's uh, it, it definitely, Paul. Uh, you guys are going to have a good hunt, man. Um, and y'all are hunting in the right times. Just got to, you know, see Carpe Diem, got to seize the day. There you go. Yep. Thanks, Paul, for well, the Joe, question. Man, unbelievable questions this week. Yep. Real good content for our guys that are going to OTC, hunt over the counter tags. Uh, I love doing these segments for, for these guys that are out there, whether they're bow hunters or whether they're rifle hunters. You know, guys, again, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review. You have to go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes to review. You can check out more elk hunting content on elkbros.com. And uh, just a reminder, if you guys want your question aired on our show, just send your question to info at elkbros.com. Yep, there we go, man. Fantastic show, brother. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. Chab, as always, this one's for you. Always. Husbands, kiss your wives. Wives, kiss your husbands. Hug your babies. Keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Peace, peace, y'all.